0: guys are free to go to your classrooms at this time i also forgot and this is if you know me i make fun of technology quite a bit but i think it's pretty cool that facebook allows us to connect with the people who are sick so to everybody sick at home thank you for being here we're equally thrilled that that you're with us this morning as much as i bash on it, it it is pretty cool that they can still be with us i know there's a lot going around um so that's neat This morning we're going to be in Psalm 23. I am very much looking forward to this series, and I'll explain a little bit more how we got into it after. Um, But we're, we're going to be in Psalm 23. We're going to take weeks to go through verse by verse, and we're going to look at what is packed into these six verses. I know the first time I studied this psalm, I came away with such a deeper appreciation for it, and I loved it. I loved every moment of it. And we're going to get a chance to do that together. Uh, There are Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you need to borrow one, if you want to keep it, please feel free to do so. But before we begin, let's pray. God, thank you. The words of that last song were so beautiful. All praise to you. All praise to who you are, who you always have been, and who you always will be. You are sovereign, you are magnificent, and we are so thrilled to have a chance to gather together and worship you this morning. And we ask that this time continues that worship, that this would be a time where we draw nearer to your heart, that we hear your words, and that we grow to know you more and to love you deeper. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So let's read Psalm 23. And a lot of you probably know this. I would say that this is arguably one of the more famous Bible passages in the world. But please listen to this. And my prayer is that as we listen to these words, as we read these words and study these words, they would be new to us. That we would see something new in them and realize that the passages we know so well, there's always more life in them. This is Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." A couple of years ago, three or four years ago, some of you may remember, I actually did a class on Psalm 23. And what prompted that class and what brought me back to this series is I was reading, I don't remember if it was a book or devotional, but whatever I was reading, the author challenged the reader and they said, you know, think of these passages that you know you know, but how often have you studied them? And they cited Psalm 23 as an example, and they pointed out a very small detail about the psalm, and I realized I didn't know that. And this was a psalm that I knew, but I had never taken the time to study it, right? Because you kind of, you know it so well that you're kind of, oh yeah, I know this, I don't understand it. So I really spent time and I started diving deeply into Psalm 23. And what I came away with was, man, I had been scratching the surface, right? It's like you gave me a Lamborghini and I had spent 10 years driving at 20 miles an hour. And then you were like, hey, hey, you know, if you push that gas pedal a little further, there's a whole lot more you're missing out on. And that's I'm really looking forward to doing this. And this morning, we're going to start with just that first thesis statement. We're going to start with the Lord is my shepherd, right? That's it's what? four words, five words, the Lord is my shepherd. There is a ton to unpack in these words. And I want to start with the very opening, the Lord. David could have used any number of words or names there, right? He could have used God, Father, Almighty, Jehovah, Omega, Alpha, any one of the other names that David used constantly throughout the Psalms. But he used a very specific Hebrew name in this psalm and the answers on the screen i was going to ask you and then i forgot i made the slide it's yahweh right and what's significant about that because there's a little bit of a temptation right to kind of say because we today we use a lot of god's names interchangeably right even when we pray we might switch from one name to another and we don't fully understand all the time the significance of certain names of god But to the people who originally heard this in the original language, their jaws would have dropped when David said, Yahweh is my shepherd. Because the significance of Yahweh is that this is the name God uses for himself. Right? The people of Israel treated Yahweh with such reverence, they wouldn't even write it out fully. Because they were like, no, this is God's name for himself. The first example we see of this is in Exodus 3.15. Moses has been told, hey, you're going to go back to Egypt. This is what you're going to do. And if you're familiar with the story, you know Moses fights him on every point. He pushes back on everything, right? And God gets to a point where he's like, okay, enough. I'm going to let you know who I am. And that's where he says, I am who I am. And then God goes on to explain to Moses. He says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Yahweh is my name forever, and this is how you are to remember me. Another place where we see Yahweh is we see it in Amos 4.13. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and Imagine this, right? Adults, I'll be honest, adults are terrible at imagination. It's one of the reasons I think I talk to kids better than I do adults on some level. But adults are not good at imagination. But imagine, look at the vivid imagery that, that's used in these verses. He who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Again, Yahweh is his name. And that was God speaking again. I mean, really think about that. He who treads on the heights of the earth. I love being outside in God's creation. Romans 1.20 talks about how that God's nature is seen and understood in what has been made. And I, that verse resonates deeply in me every single time. I love it. And I love nature for so many reasons. But one of them is because it always reminds me how small I am right? I was reading through my old journals a couple months ago, not knowing I was going to be doing this series, but I was reading through my old journals and I came across an entry Friday, June 7th in 2017. And I wrote very simply on that day, went out to take our dog out and the wind immediately shoved me backwards against my will. How big is God? Right? And that's why I love going outside because it reminds me of the magnitude of who God is. Because that was a wind on June in Ohio. Like, let's be honest, Ohio's awesome. I've loved living here. We're not getting hurricane winds, right? That was a small sampling of what wind can do. And it shoved me backwards against my will. And then we read in Amos that God creates the wind and he forms the mountains i've stood on top of mountains and i've looked at the world before me and i've realized how small i am compared to the magnitude of the world and amos reminds us that someone created those mountains someone formed those mountains someone formed that wind someone who treads on the mountains right do you think about that word intentionally treads you have to tread on something pretty small right God treads on the heights of the earth. And what's his name? Yahweh. And that's how David opens this psalm. Because he wants the people to sit upright in their seats. He wants them to hear, Yahweh is my shepherd and their jaws to drop. Wow, that's a big deal. There's a lot of weight behind that. There's a lot of power behind that. And I want the same reminder for us today. I want you to remember that Yahweh is your shepherd. It's not a small thing to have Yahweh as your shepherd. Right? And that's what David's going for. With that very opening word, he's starting it off with the grand finale. Right? It would have blown the people's minds. And he moves on. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Because this would have been a people who would have been used to intermediaries. They would have been used to people interceding on their behalf. And David is making this so personal. He's saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. And I think this is why David was a man after God's own heart, because David desired that personal relationship that God also desires. And David is going right to the core of it. He's saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. I have this personal, intimate relationship where I know him and he knows me. And David was a shepherd. So when he says shepherd, he doesn't use that word lightly either. And he knows all that goes into being a shepherd. And we'll get more into that in the coming weeks as we get into the rest of the verses. But a sneak preview of who a shepherd is and what a shepherd does. A shepherd provides. A shepherd protects. A shepherd leads. A shepherd guides. Right? The shepherd has the power. The shepherd has the authority. But the shepherd is devoted to his flock and loves his flock with everything in him. So when David says, Yahweh is my shepherd, he uses that word knowing full well what it implies. And there's a secondary implication if yahweh is the shepherd what does that make david sheep if yahweh is the shepherd david can not also be the shepherd and david as a shepherd knows what he means when he says i'm a sheep and you're you know unless if anyone's sitting there and they're like okay well david was a sheep but not me because our culture has made sheep a dirty word right nobody wants to be sheep we've made it an insult So maybe we're tempted to sit there and be like, oh, well, David, yeah, but Sam, you just said David made it personal. He used my. So David's the sheep, not me. Well, let's look at what he writes in Psalm 103. David writes, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are God's sheep, plain and simple. And when I was putting together the graphic for this, right, when we were putting together the Facebook graphic for our our cover photo so we could give a preview, I intentionally put learning to be sheep. Because like I just said, we don't want to be sheep today. We've made that an insult. Oh, you guys are a bunch of sheep, right? That's not something to be proud of. That's not normal. What is normal? Craig Rochelle in his book Weird said, if you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want what few people have, do what few people do. We're going to play a little Family Feud right now, kind of tweaked, right? Participation, raise your hand. Imagine we pulled America, we pulled all the adults in America, and we asked them a question, is it normal to experience this? And if you think the average American adult would say, yeah, that's normal, raise your hand. You think it's normal to be exhausted, Be exhausted a little bit, right? You're just burnt out from life. I think the average adult would say, yeah, that's normal. What about stressed, right? Stress is normal. Everybody's got stress. Anxiety, a little bit of anxiety over life. You know what I heard this week? What I learned, and this was devastating to me. Because it's existed for a while. People have alluded to it for a while and made jokes about it for a while. But this is now such a growing phenomenon, psychologically speaking, they're starting to study it. They're actually starting to study this, and it's called Sunday panic. And what they're finding is that the weekend has shrunk for a, a number of people growing. And they say they can't enjoy Sunday as part of their weekend because they are so worked up over planning their week ahead. How tragic is that? Right? So yeah, anxiety, that's a little bit normal. What about envy? Not a lot, but just a little bit, right? Why why does he have that and I don't? Anybody think that's a little normal? Right? A little bit of envy, a little bit of jealousy, maybe a little bit of self-loathing. Ah, these are all the things I change about myself, right? All right. So if that's normal, don't raise your hand for this part. How few people do you know that truly radiate joy? How few people do you know whose lives are marked by peace? I mean marked by peace, a peace that can't be shaken. How few people do you know whose lives are defined by a passion and a hunger for God? How few people do you know who are committed to kindness and to mercy and to gentleness and to love above all else? So, maybe the problem is we need to stop being so concerned with being normal. And maybe that starts with learning to embrace being sheep. Because when I look at normal, I don't want anything to do with it. I flat out don't. I don't want to be normal. I don't want any of you to be normal. I don't want this to be a normal church. Because a normal church looks like everything else out there. And I don't want that. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. So maybe we need to stop concerning ourselves with being normal and we need to start learning to look at the world with a different perspective. And maybe that starts with looking at sheep as, you know, I'm proud to be a sheep in God's flock. Because here's the thing about sheep, if I said a little bit ago, right, sneak preview, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd provides, protects, guides, instructs. It seems to me that a sheep's primary objective should be to submit to the shepherd. And that's another word that that's a bad word, submit. You don't want to be a submissive person, right? If you follow UFC, MMA at all, that's how you lose. You lose when you submit. Submission is for the weak. Submission is for the cowardly. No. Submission is recognizing that there is one who loves us more than anything, and it is the best thing we can do to choose to submit to them. And make no mistake, it is a choice. I don't say that lightly. I don't say choose to submit lightly. It is a decision that we all must face. Before we get into these verses, I want to show you Joshua 24, talking to the people of Israel. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord. This is 24 verses 14 and 15. Therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Listen to these three distinctions. Listen to how he breaks it out into three different options for the people. He says, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river. He references their past, he references their heritage, he references their legacy. He knows that we all carry baggage with us. There's something in every single one of our lives that could be a baggage that will drag us down and distract us from the Lord. Joshua references this. Are you going to serve the gods of the past? Are you going to serve your history? Are you going to serve the baggage that you're carrying with you? And then he goes on and he says, Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And he references their present. He references the culture around them. He references the influence of the world around them. And he says, are you going to choose to serve those gods? Are you going to choose to look so much like your neighbors that you find yourself worshiping at the same altar? The altar of busyness. The altar of distraction, the altar of fear. Are you going to choose to serve the same gods as the people around you? And then he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when he uses that, ver- that, that word choose, when he says choose this day, that original language had the implication and the connotation of a continual daily choice. This isn't, oh, I made the choice back in 1997 and I'm good. This is every day when you wake up, choose who you are going to serve. Because it's a choice that's facing all of us. We've got multiple options vying for our attention, vying for our followership. There's one correct choice. And that's what we're going to look at in these coming weeks. We're going to look at what happens when we choose to be a sheep in the shepherd's flock. But it starts with choosing to submit to the shepherd. You've got the references on screen. Please write them down. Take them home. Study them every day. Learn these words. Internalize them. Let them be a part of your life but I want to read through some of them now. Job 22, 21 through 22. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. Receive instruction. The instruction has been given. The question is, will we receive it? Right? We see this in Job. We see this then in James. James 4, 7 to 8. Submit. There's that word that we don't like. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Proverbs 3, 5-6, to 6. and this is another famous one. I'm guessing a lot of you know this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. What would happen if this were taken away? Oop, that would have been bad. I didn't think that one through, right? But if you took that away, what would have happened? I would have fallen. Why? Because I was leaning on it. See, we lean on the things that we believe will support us. You don't lean on something that you anticipate breaking and crumbling. You lean on what you believe will hold you up and sustain you and carry you. I leaned on that because I thought I was going to be okay. So are we leaning on our own understanding for this life? I mean, think about it. When you think about it in that sense, are you relying on your own understanding to carry you when things get tough? Or are we leaning on the words of God and then Luke twenty two forty two, 42, this is Jesus speaking, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus modeled submission. We have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself this. And this is a question that, I, you know, when you ask it, you're immediately like, no, no, no. But think about it. Do I think I'm better than Jesus? Because with my words, I'll always say, yeah, yeah, not my will, but yours be done. Do my actions back that up does my daily life reflect the decision to choose submission to the father's will regardless of what that means for my sense of comfort which is a very interesting word and we're going to get to that in a couple weeks so jot that down right jot down comfort study it see if you're ready in a couple weeks when we talk about comfort but what do i choose do i choose like jesus did to submit to the will of the father because this is a weighty statement Submission is not easy. There's a lot that's going to hold us back, our pride, our ego, our fear. Okay, if I choose to submit and God asks me to do this, what if it doesn't go well? If I choose to submit and this happens, what about that? What about this? If I choose to submit my finances, if I choose to submit my job, my time, my home, my relationships, what will that look like? Submission is not something that we do easily because our ego gets in the way, our pride, our worry gets in the way. So we have to remember, going back to what David started this idea with, that Yahweh is my shepherd. We have to remember that he who treads on the heights of the earth is the one leading and guiding and providing and protecting and sustaining and nourishing. It's not about me, it's not about me trying to sustain myself. Yahweh is my shepherd. So put all of this together. We studied Yahweh, we studied my, we studied shepherd. Put all of this together and stretch it out. David's thesis statement could be rewritten in three lines or four lines. It could be rewritten as Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the single greatest, most magnificent, only being ever deserving of the title awesome in the history of the world. Yahweh is my personal, intimate, connected, known shepherd. And because of that, I submit to him joyfully and entirely because I know he loves me more than anything else. And he is devoted to me and he has promised good things for me out of his love for me. Yahweh is the one I look to for guidance in this life. And then you shorten it back up and you get the Lord is my shepherd. There's a lot in those five words, there's a lot in the verses coming. And as we continue with this idea of shepherd, this isn't just something David said, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. God used this same metaphor. Look at Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 49, 19, and then chapter 50, verse 6. This is the Lord speaking. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make him run away from her, talking about his people. And I will appoint over her whomever I choose for who is like me, who will summon me, what shepherd can stand before me? God knows. God knows there are tons of shepherds fighting for position in our lives, whether or not we realize it. And God makes a point of saying, what other shepherd can stand before me? And then he goes on in chapter 50 to address the issues with looking at other shepherds besides Yahweh. This is chapter 50, verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. We belong to the flock of the Lord. There's not another flock on this planet that has claim on you. We choose to ignore our fold. We choose to wander away. But what do we see in Scripture? That God pursues us constantly because He loves us. So when you look at this psalm, this is so much more than a simple, nice, wonderful psalm that we put in children's books. There's so much power and depth to these words, starting with Yahweh is my shepherd. That's where I want to begin, because there's a lot to digest there. There's a lot for us to contemplate. There's a lot for us to look at and ask hard questions of what do we allow to be a shepherd in our lives? Are we looking at Yahweh? Are we in His fold? Are we abiding under His care? And I want to try something a little bit different moving forward. We're going to try it for this series. What's the worst that could happen, right? Because here's the thing. James one twenty two. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. I know I use that a lot, but this, this is legitimately my favorite verse in the Bible because it challenges me and it floors me every single time I encounter this verse. James one twenty two says, "Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says." Because I know in my own life there have been far too many periods where I do a great job of listening to the word, and then walking out the door and forgetting it. Right? I would attend churches, and the pastor would give a great message. I'd be like, pastor, that was a great message, man. That you know that hit me here, and then ten minutes later, it was a sermon on ah it was somewhere in the Bible. Tuesday, what was the sermon on? I don't know. Was I even in church on Sunday? So we're going to try something. All right, we're going to try to apply. James 1.22, do what it says. Because this is another. These are questions that I get asked all the time. People say, they say, man, how, what, what, what do you pray for? What should I be praying for? How do you pray? Give me something to pray for, right? We, we view prayer as kind of this big, scary thing. And we'll continue to look at it, but it's not. But people say, they're like, what, how, what do I pray for? So here's my challenge, if you want to throw this last slide up. This week... Every day, in addition to your other prayers, I'm not saying you stop praying for the people who are sick and things like that, but in addition to your prayers, every day I would challenge you to pray for a spirit of total submission to the Lord. Pray for it sincerely. What's the worst that could happen? God answers your prayer and you learn and grow. What's the best that could happen? God answers your prayer and you learn and you grow. So let's pray. Let's be a church that every day is praying. And I'm not going to ask you to do this and not do it. I will be doing this every day. I've been doing this every day, especially leading up to being a pastor. This is a daunting thing. Uh, Trust me. So I'm going to be doing this with you guys, but let's be a church that prays to be totally submitted to the Lord. And then the other question I get is, where are you reading? What should I be reading? You know, the Bible, that's a big book. There's a lot. Do I start in one of those little prophet people? Do I start somewhere in the New Testament? What do I read? So let's start with Psalm 23. Let's read it. Let's memorize it. Let's internalize it. The Bible says meditate on this day and night. That's not a Far Eastern meditation where you empty your mind. It's the original meditation where you focus on nothing else. You fill your mind with it. So this week, let's try it, right? Let's read Psalm 23 every day. And every day, let's pray for a spirit of total submission. And let's see what God does. Because that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about what God can do. I'm excited about what the shepherd can do when we submit to him. That's how David begins. That's how I want to begin this. I want to begin this with looking at Yahweh as our shepherd. And I want us to be a church. I want us to be a church that is submitted to the Lord in all things. Let's pray, and then we'll partake in communion, which is a great opportunity to submit. God, thank you for being our shepherd. The idea of the shepherd pursuing that lost sheep over all obstacles, The fact that you love us like that, what an incredible love. So teach us. Teach us to submit to you. Teach us to submit to you in the areas that scare us the most, in the areas where we're most tempted to shrink back and to hold on to things. Teach us to lay them at your feet. Teach us to surrender to you with our actions, with our words, with our relationships, with the way we work, with the way we live. Teach us to live lives entirely surrendered to you because we know that you are Yahweh and we trust you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.